You know, because there's so much about angels, we're talking about angels these weeks, there's so much about angels that we're not told in Scripture. I think it's because of that that a lot of wrong ideas about angels and a lot of misconceptions have come up over the years. A lot of questions, too. One of the questions is, how many angels are there? That's a legitimate question. How many angels are there? Scripture doesn't just flat out tell us. I can tell you, one answer would be a whole lot. We do have a clue from the book of Revelation that in the rebellion, when Satan rebelled, that about a third of the angels of heaven followed after him. And so that would mean there are about twice as many holy angels, at least, as there are those who had rebelled. There are some other clues in the Bible that can help us also with the number of angels there are. A mob armed with swords and clubs and torches is pouring into the Garden of Gethsemane. They are coming in heavy, led by Judas Iscariot to arrest Jesus. It's kind of ironic because the, Jesus was known to travel with a small group of men. Here they come with a mob to arrest him. There are a few words, there is a secret sign, and they make their move. And as they move in to grab Jesus, the disciples turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, shall we strike with the sword? Peter is already doing it. And Peter takes a, a swing at the head of Malchus, misses, catches just his ear. And while Jesus is fixing that, putting his ear back on, he's telling Peter, put your sword away. Don't need it. He tells Peter, in fact, that he could, if he wanted to, ask the Father, and the Father would send 72,000 angels. 72,000. That would tip the odds the other direction, wouldn't it? Twelve legions of angels. Considering how one angel annihilated 185,000 Assyrian troops overnight in 2 Kings 19, I'll bet that would improve the odds against the mob that had come to arrest Jesus. 72,000 angels. That would have been pretty handy. But there are more. Many more than that, both Daniel and John in Revelation mentioned both of them, that they saw thousands upon thousands of angels and 10,000 times 10,000. I did the math, that's 100 million. Hebrews 12 verse 22 mentions that angels are innumerable. Maybe that's getting closer to the number of angels. We can't count them. So take that information about how many angels there are and put that together with what angels are created to do. We've looked at Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And that's good news this morning, isn't it? Up to this point, we have mostly been looking at the work of angels, especially in the Christmas story, as messengers. After all, the name angel means... Messenger, there's your first chance to say that. So typically, angels are showing up in the Christmas story with important messages. And we're going to see that again today. We're going to see that next Sunday on Christmas Sunday. But this morning, I want to add to that this fact that angels come to minister 
to us. And I'm not even sure how they do that. I just see how angels in the scriptures show up and do more than just deliver messages. They show up and free prisoners. They show up and encourage those who are facing hardship. They show up and overpower enemy soldiers. They escort people to safety. So it's no surprise that angels minister to Jesus while he is on earth. They turn up in his story, not just in the Christmas story, but from the very start to the finish, they are there. Back in the Garden of Gethsemane, while Jesus is praying there, help arrives in the form of an angel. Luke says there appeared to him, to Jesus, an angel from heaven strengthening him. I wonder, what did that look like? Here was an angel somehow helping Jesus to continue the difficult journey to the cross just hours away. And the angel was there to help him through that. He couldn't even fully understand it himself. The angel couldn't. It was a time of crisis for Jesus, and this angel came to help him through a difficult hour so that Jesus would make it to the cross. Three years before that, as Jesus began his ministry, Jesus was face-to-face, -face, remember, in the wilderness with Satan tempting him for 40 days, it says. And his goal is obvious. It's to get Jesus off track from his mission, his purpose on earth. He went after him, tempting him to satisfy his appetite, to put God to the test, to take the short road to glory. And both Matthew and Mark record that angels ministered to him during that time. We're not told how, not told how they helped him. Somehow, though, they helped Jesus and they helped him stay on track with his mission as it launched. So let's go before that and in the middle of the Christmas story, while Jesus is a baby, he comes, or an angel comes, to protect the mission. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I want you, please, to take your Bibles and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, that first chapter, as angels protected the mission of Jesus on earth, we get to protect that mission now. That's the thing I want you to walk out with this morning. As angels protected that mission of Jesus on earth, we get to protect it now. When Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, it created quite a stir. It upset the wicked king, and when the wicked king is upset, that upsets everybody, because if the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Who was this new king that they were looking for? So Herod tells them, well, once you find him, tell me where he is so that I can worship him too. Sure. So the Magi find the baby in a house. Sorry about your nativity set at home. In a house, and they worshiped him. Mission accomplished. Their mission is done. And then in a dream, maybe by an angel, God sends them back home the other way, back home instead of to King Herod. Meanwhile, the mission of God in the flesh falls into dangerous times. And that's where we're starting to read this morning, actually in chapter 2, verse 13 of Matthew. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, 
Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. <laughs> That's Hosea 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, God is speaking through the prophet Hosea. Remember, Israel had been in Egypt for some 430 years. And so here it is sometime between 722 BC. Hosea is looking back at their past and he says about the history of Israel. Out of Egypt, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Seems pretty simple. Hosea, God talking about the history of Israel, my son, he calls them, and now with Jesus born, the mission of God on earth takes a turn. Joseph and Mary didn't expect it. They're told by an angel to run away to save the child, and where are they to go? Egypt. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Herod's launching a search and destroy mission to kill him. We've already looked at Joseph and Mary. They had to be all in for this. You know, it's one thing to lose your good reputation in the community by a pregnancy that occurs before you're rightly married. It's another thing to have to run for your life because now the current king wants the child dead. So without waiting around, picture it, Joseph wakes up Mary, tells her they have to leave. Wherever it is they're staying at the time, it's not going to be safe anymore. Didn't matter how inconvenient it would be. Didn't matter if traveling over 300 miles to the Jewish community that lived in Alexandria, Egypt at that time was reasonable. It is very likely that the gifts from the Magi financed an unplanned journey. And so that night, just by delivering a message to the young family, an angel protected the mission from being lost. We learn in the next few verses that the furious King Herod ordered the murder of all baby boys aged two and younger in Bethlehem and in the region all around there. Do you realize Jesus would have been killed? He would have died. Rachel had been buried somewhere outside of Bethlehem many years before. And once again, figuratively, Rachel weeps for her children. Jesus was on his way to Egypt. The mission was saved. Herod died in 4 BC. Another angel, Graham, delivered to, to Joseph, sends them back home. And somewhere, in just a few verses there, in Matthew chapter 2, some time passes and the family has traveled 600 miles. Have you ever read stories, maybe you have seen in movies, military operations where someone is reminded at a really crucial time to protect the mission? All right, Star Wars nerds. Princess Leia falls out of the transport into the sand and Anakin wants to stop and rescue her. But he's reminded what? Continue the mission. You have to continue the mission. 
and in more than one real-life story, soldiers sacrifice themselves because they're loyal to the mission, because the mission itself is more important than their own lives, and they must protect the mission despite losing their buddies, despite personal cost, despite what they will all go through together, they protect the mission. They may not fully understand the significance of it, but they're trusting that what they're doing is right, and they push through in the name of protecting the mission. I look at this part of the Christmas story, and I see that kind of dedication. Joseph and Mary are devoted to this mission, even though they didn't choose it for themselves. If they didn't do their part, remember, it would all be lost. And then there's the angel in this story. We've already looked at how angels can't fully understand or appreciate the mission of Jesus on earth. There's no plan of salvation for them. Remember those words? They long to look into these things. How humans can be saved by grace from their sins. And still, it's an angel that delivers this message to save Jesus' mission. He didn't have to sit around and figure it out. He's just to deliver the message. You can't see the future. He's not all-knowing. That's another thing about angels. They don't have a knowledge of everything. They are not God. So he doesn't fully understand it, can't see the future, but his knowledge is supernatural. He doesn't have to understand all the details. He just has to deliver the message. After all, the name angel means messenger. And that's what he does. As we've been going through this series, I've been pointing out that the work that God has given to us, the church, to do in these last days, in a lot of ways, is similar to the work that we see his angels doing in the Christmas story. And so, at this point and to the end, I want to have us ask this question of ourselves. Am I loyal to the mission that God has given me? I want you to ask that of yourself today. Am I loyal to the mission that God has given me? What mission, you ask? I'm glad you asked that. The mission that Jesus started here on earth. The mission that he has handed off to his church. The, the mission to reconcile mankind back to himself. The mission that if it isn't protected, will result in terrible loss. The mission that may require some sacrifice along the way, but must not fail. So here are some parts of that mission this morning that involve you and me. And I want to speak about those and answer this question, am I loyal to the mission God has given me? First of all, we usually go to the end of Matthew to help us understand it. And that's what we're doing this morning. Yep, right here in the middle of the Christmas story, I want you to flip from the beginning of Matthew to the end of Matthew, where Jesus speaks in chapter 28. Once he completed his work here, he handed it over. And he spoke about the transfer of his mission to his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus is there and he says, all authority has been given on in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That right there in those couple of verses is the most basic description of what it means to follow Jesus. We people who follow Jesus are those who continue his mission, the mission to make disciples so that people will be saved and grow up to be more like Jesus. The disciples who first took this on, by the way, gave their lives for the sake of the mission. Their whole lives were changed because they were convinced that Jesus is Lord and that it was put upon them to carry on the work that he had begun. Are you there? Are you protecting that mission? Are you upholding that mission? Because just like before, the enemy has the goal to get the followers of Jesus off track. And in many places, he succeeds. There are followers who've lost track of the mission. They find it okay to neglect the things that Jesus said to do. They get off to a good start or they lose sight of whose mission it is. Making disciples who make disciples, that's not convenient. That's not comfortable, is it? But that's okay. It also wasn't comfortable for Jesus to leave heaven, to grow up in poverty, and then to die on the cross. You see, you and I, when we follow Jesus, are part of the big supernatural mission. It's not ours, but we signed on to continue it. Amen? We have the commission from Jesus as part of that. We also have the church. When we became followers of Jesus, we also became a part of his family, his body, his bride, the church. You can't be one without the other. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not a part of his church. Peter says that like living stones, you and I are being built into a spiritual household. Paul compares it to being part of a body with many parts. One body, but many parts. Let me, let me remind you that Central Christian Church is part of that big C church that makes up the body of Christ. And let me remind you that we have articulated the mission for Central Christian Church in these words, love God, love people, serve both. That's how we show the world that hope lives here. That's the specific mission of Central Christian Church. Can you repeat that specific mission? Uh, mission? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Love God, love people, serve both. The church is another way that we support the mission of Jesus. There is no plan B. We are plan B. We're living plan B. Angels don't get the privilege of sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus. That's reserved for the church. Somewhere in the whole picture of things, you have to uphold the mission of Jesus by upholding the church of Jesus. Let me ask you this morning. If you're not doing that through Central Christian Church, where are you doing that? Where are you upholding the church of Jesus Christ? Settle that question. If you haven't settled it here, find the place. 
You can't be a part of Jesus' mission without being a part of his church. Get on board, protect that. No apology for saying that. Something else he has given us to carry on the mission and protect it is the scriptures. One of the other vital parts is the fact that we have those. Have you ever considered how vital this is to the mission of the church, the mission of Jesus that we carry on? Paul looked at himself and he looked at the message that God had given him to preach and he said this about it. We have this treasure, that is the, the message of the gospel, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Over the centuries, there were many people who were convinced of the, the, the vital importance, the central importance of the scriptures to the mission of Jesus. There were Christians under Emperors Galerius and Diocletian who would rather die and chose to die rather than give up their copies of the scriptures. They knew how important they were. There were others like John Wycliffe and John Hus who were harassed and tortured because they were trying to get God's word into the hands of people who could read it in their own language. There have been many like Brother Andrew, who chose to take the risk of smuggling it into communist countries. There were reformers like Martin Luther who stood up against those who misused the scriptures and suffered for it. Why did all of these people do that? Because they were doing what they could to support the mission. They realized that the mission Jesus began can't succeed if God's word is lost. Or neglected so you and I this morning we have this precious treasure that has been handed across the millennia to us we have God's Word translated into our own language more available than it has ever been before how are we going to do at getting this part of the mission moving forward and I'm talking about hiding God's Word in your own heart and about getting it into the hearts of others. Just three years ago, Wayne Cordairo, a preacher from a church in Hawaii, had a training conference in China. He was kind of snuck in there to some of the believers there. 22 attendees rode a train some 13 hours from Hunan province. They all met in a tiny little apartment 22 attendees, 18 of those, had already been imprisoned for their faith. This preacher found out. He asked them directly, what happens if we are caught? He, they said, well, you will be just deported. For, within 24 hours, you'll be out of here. They'll kick you out of the country. As for us, that'll be three years in prison. 
At the beginning of the lesson, he realized, here he is going to be teaching out of Scripture, he realized that they only had 15 copies of the Bible there for the 22 people. But when he asked the audience to turn to 2 Peter 1, he noticed how one lady took her Bible and handed it to the lady next to her. And he realized she had memorized the whole book. He wrote this, when, I was, when it was done, I went over to her at break, I said, you recited the whole chapter. <laughs> She's one who had been in prison. And he learned that although prison guards would confiscate any kind of Christian material, people would still smuggle in small scraps of paper with scripture and they would memorize them and pass them around. She explained, we memorize it as fast as we can because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. They have a sense, you see, of how important God's word is to the mission. You and I have this precious treasure. What are we doing with it? Maybe you and I, where we live today, aren't in immediate risk of this being taken away from us. Maybe a little, we see it. But I want to suggest to you that the greater risk that we have is that we would have it in our hands and fail to use it. Protect the mission. Hide God's word in your heart. Learn how to use it. Protect the mission. One other thing that God has given us in this, and that's resources, and thanks to the patience of God, time. The success of any mission also depends on having the resources to carry it out. That's true, isn't it? When the church first began, that's what they did. They took their resources, they put them to work. If Paul wrote a letter to a church, it would often be passed around so that others could read it too, copied so that others could use it. Some people who had houses used those houses as the place that the church gathered to meet and worship. Paul put his ability to travel to work so that either by foot or by ship, he could go to a variety of places to preach. So ships, writing, other people, money from selling land, they used their, resource, their resources. But most important, God gave to the church the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that you and I receive when we become followers of Jesus. So pause just for a moment. Think about how the church right away used the resources that they had and consider along with the Holy Spirit the list of resources that you and I have today at our disposal to carry out the mission of Christ. Are you thinking about them? I want to hear from you now, out loud. Just uh, what is it that we have that we can use to accomplish the mission of Christ? What are some of the resources that we have? Let me hear from you. This building, all right? The community? Our mouths? Donuts? <laughs> hey, if you got them, use them. What else? The Bible. The Bible. Our homes. The Holy Spirit. Prayer. Our hands. Our families. Each other. The internet. 
feet. All right, how beautiful. Let me add a couple here too. Smartphones, email, blogs, social media, YouTube, TV, radio, mail, money, books, business associations, civic groups. It's a long list, isn't it? The things that God has given us that we can use. They're all resources. They could be used for great good or they could be squandered and they could be spent on lesser things. I remain convinced of this, that the Lord will give us exactly what we need to do, whatever he wants us to do, and that he wants for his people to go and make disciples. And then there's this thing called time. One of the limited resources we have to do the mission is time. I used to read 2 Peter 3.9. For years, I would read 2 Peter 3.9, and I would think about that verse, and that it meant that God was being patient, that he wasn't returning yet, because he was being patient with the people who still haven't accepted him. That's why he's delaying his return. Well, that may be true, but look with me there in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, and look at what it says. When all else fails, look at what it says. It says there, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward whom? You. Me. His people. Patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is being patient with me. By his patience, God is looking at me and, I don't know, saying something like, Sherm, you know, anytime you'd like to get with it and start speaking more directly to your neighbor about things that actually matter, you go right ahead. That'd be fine. Anytime you'd like to have an awkward conversation with someone who's still comfortable with the fact that he is lost, you go ahead. I'm waiting patiently for you to move ahead. I'm giving you time. Use it. And God is being patient with me to carry on the mission. We have these good things from God. We have the commission. We have the church. We have the scriptures. We have a variety of resources. God has given all of these things to us to protect the mission. Will you do it? You see, as angels protected the mission of Jesus on earth, we get to protect the mission right now. It may be costly. Will you still protect the mission? We may not be able to understand how it all fits together right now. Will you protect the mission? We'll probably find ourselves in an uncomfortable minority. Will you protect the mission? For someone who's already a follower of Jesus, this is obviously something for you and me to take to heart. You signed on to this mission and all along you've known you were to follow it through. My prayer today is that looking in on the Christmas story and seeing it there, 
will give us an even greater motivation to protect the mission. And for someone who's not a follower of Jesus yet, I hope that seeing this in the Christmas story today will move you even closer to making Jesus Lord of your life, that you would take on the mission, that you would believe in the importance of what he came to do, that Christmas wouldn't just be a, a happy and fun time of year for you, but would be the beginning of Jesus on earth to carry out the most wonderful mission there ever was. And you can be a part of it. You can protect the mission too. I hope you'll make a decision like that this morning. If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, what a great time of year to do that. It's great because the building is heated too. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of people being baptized in somewhere where it's really cold and frozen and they chisel through the ice and immerse people in that frigid cold water. What on earth are they thinking? Here's what they're thinking. They're thinking that the most important decision that you can make is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and that you need to do that without waiting around. That's why they would do that. This morning, we've tried to make it as easy as possible to remove the hindrances and the things that would slow someone down from following Jesus. Would you make that choice today? If you're ready to do that, we're inviting you to make that decision. I'm going to ask you please to stand up with me here. This time at the end of message is time for us to reflect on what we have looked at in God's Word and to, to decide, well, what am I going to do about that? Only you can answer that. Between you and the Lord today, I encourage you to wrestle through that. God has something good for you and me to do with his word today. Let's pray. Father, just now, we ask you to put all these things together in our minds. Uh, help us to understand what it is that you are urging us to do. As we look at the work of your angels, Father, throughout the Christmas story and throughout the ministry of Jesus, it reminds us what a privilege we have received to be able to carry on this great work. Now, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be at work in our hearts. If that means having a greater heart toward those who are near us, Lord, a next-door neighbor or a family member or a friend, somebody that we know, someone in our circle of influence, maybe the one who we are praying for, God, for an opportunity to share the gospel. Please, help us not to be comfortable that that person is apart from you. Give us the right words and help us to step forward. Father, for anyone today who uh, either watching online right now or uh, here physically, that hasn't made the choice to follow Jesus, I pray today will be the change. I pray that today, uh, looking at what you have done to bring us close to you and in a right relationship with you, will be impressed upon their hearts that decisions will be made to follow you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.